Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of the Going Long podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We have a lot to get to. There are several roster moves from the Oregon Ducks to get to from uh, the past weekend, early on this week. The Ducks added five players in the last few days, starting on Saturday. Um, I believe they added uh, two on Saturday, two on Monday. I might be missing one in there, one on uh, maybe three on Monday, actually. Um, some potential big-time contributors, some some guys that really have a chance to come into this locker room and and compete for a starting spot uh, going into fall camp. I think that we're going to get into them a lot more, um, but it feels like Dan Lanning and the staff are really just stacking this roster full of depth, full of numerous starting starting potential players. Um, and it's just it's been really impressive to kind of watch him build that out over the past few months via the transfer portal, via recruiting. Um, it's starting to look like a roster that from top to bottom can just really, really impress. And you've got a lot of guys that can contribute in a, a lot of meaningful ways. After we talk about those roster moves, I want to talk about Bo Nix and his Heisman chances and how realistic they really are. Um, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. I know we did not have an episode last week. I did record an episode last week talking about this Bo Nix uh, Heisman thing. Um, the audio did not pick up for it. So um, I was planning to release that about last Wednesday or last Thursday. I spent, you know, a few days emailing back with tech support, trying to find the uh, the missing audio. And we did end up getting it recovered. So I'm going to tech, uh, tech that part of the conversation on to the end of this one. And we'll, we'll get this all out. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Let's go ahead and get into it. Like I said on the intro, the Ducks have been incredibly busy as far as roster moves go over the past few days. They've added a total of five players, some walk-ons, some scholarship players um, to the roster since Saturday. It kicked off on Saturday morning with Colorado tight end Caden Ludwig, um, a tight end slash linebacker. He redshirted as a freshman, but kid from Clackamas, Oregon, so he's kind of coming back home. He's a, he's a preferred walk-on. Then you got USC wide receiver Gary Bryant Jr., this is a guy that you know we felt really confident over the past month or so that he was going to end up committing to the Ducks. He came out for a visit, uh, I believe it was early in April, maybe late March, sometime around there, and and got a really good relationship with Bo Nix, really close with uh, wide receiver coach Junior Adams, who recruited him up when he was, when he was at Washington. Um, another really really talented wide receiver in that receiver room. Yeah, cornerback uh, Nico Reed from Colorado, who followed Demetrius Martin over from uh, from Boulder kind of in that whole Christian Gonzalez mold. So we're going to talk a little bit more about him. And then you got Matt Rigney, another uh, Australian punter, um, someone that they are, they've got on a walk-on, uh, preferred walk-on that's coming into the punting room and just giving a little bit of competition. So um, 
at that point, you take those five five players, three of them under. Oh, I forgot to mention, uh, you got Nishad Strother, um, Strother, Strother. I don't know how to how to pronounce that quite yet, but uh, East Carolina, you know, offensive guard, someone who played left guard for uh, I think he started thirty games, plays and has played in thirty four games. Really experienced, really talented um, offensive lineman who's really versatile. He can play guard, he can play center. Um, Oregon probably won't push him out to the tackle spots because you feel pretty good about what you got there. But someone who's going to come into the uh, into the offensive line room and compete for that left guard spot, compete for that, compete for that center spot, compete for that right guard spot potentially too. So so you take all uh, all five of those additions, and that puts Oregon at eighty six scholarships at the moment. Um, as you know, eighty five scholarships is the limit is the maximum you can have once you get into spring or uh, into the season once fall comes. Um, I'm not concerned that they're over the limit right now. It's there's a, a chance. I mean, it, it has to go back down. How that happens is going to be interesting to see. I mean, there could be medical retirement. There could be people that leave the program for one reason or another, but um, by, by some way, you know, the ducks are going to get under that or to that 85 scholarship limit. I don't believe there is another transfer portal window between now and the season starting, um, I've done a lot of looking online and I actually can't find that information anywhere on when the next transfer portal window is. Um, if one of the listeners, if you, if you know, please reach out to me and let me know. Cause I've, I've been a little bit frustrated online trying to find out when that next, when the next dates are. Cause I know that some people enter the transfer portal or at least declare they're entering the transfer portal mid season. Think about Micah Pittman a couple years ago under Mario Cristobal uh, decided to leave the team early. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you know they're at 86 right now. They're one of the limit. That's no concern at all. They'll they'll get to the limit um, by one way or another. So let's talk about Gary Bryant a little bit. Um, this this past week, I ranked the uh, the top 25 best wide receivers in the Pac-12. Um, just going looking at stats for uh, for all of the different teams. I ranked Bryant as the number 13 wide receiver in the Pac-12. He had an incredible 2021 season before Lincoln Riley got there in 2022. Uh, in 2021, he had 579 yards and seven touchdowns. He got phased out a little bit once Lincoln Riley came, and you got uh, guys like Brennan Rice and Mario Williams and Jordan Addison all transferring in um, and kind of joining that Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams offense. It just so happened that Bryant got phased out a little bit. He saw his production drop. Um, that does not mean he's any less impactful of a receiver or less talented of a receiver. It's just that he he wanted to find a new team where he could have a bigger role. And I think he's going to find that in Oregon. Um, that's not to say that Oregon, he's going to have a clear path to starting because you now look at Oregon's wide receiver room and it's very, very stacked as well. At the top, you got Troy Franklin, Tez Johnson, Treshawn Holden, Chris Hudson, you know, Gary Bryant Jr. now. Jurion Dickey coming in, Kyler Casper trying to fight for minutes. You know, some guys, young guys like Justice Lowe, uh, Ashton Cozart, I don't think they're going to get a ton of run, but um, you add in Terrence Ferguson tied into it. That's a lot of mouths to feed at the wide receiver position. Um, I So I think that, yes, Gary Bryant probably left one wide receiver room where um, for, for greener grass or what he thinks is greener grass and hopes to get more playing time. This is not to say that he's not going to get that, but I know he's still going to really have to fight for that if he wants it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's just impressive. We're going to talk about this as a common theme throughout the podcast. The competition in that room is so, so impressive. Um, it's just been really cool to see Dan Lanning and more importantly, junior Adams kind of stack that room with playmakers. I mean, 
you put any one of those receivers on a different team and they could be probably the wide receiver one or wide receiver two. And some of them are going to be fighting for, you know, the wide receiver three, wide receiver four spot. Um, so the fact that Oregon has this much talent at the receiver position is going to be really fun to watch, especially in Will Stein's uh, offense this year. And absolutely with Bo Nix in his, what, fifth year in college playing basically as an NFL quarterback, as a, you know, as a coach on the field, he's got all the tools, all the intangibles to put the ball where it needs to go. And now we know that he's got the receivers to, to make something happen once they get the ball. Let's talk about Nishad Strother real quick. Um, coming over from East Carolina, he's got major experience. Um, I was doing a little bit of a deep dive on him, trying to figure out what fans should know about him. Um, just the the amount of snaps that he's played. He has more snaps than anyone on the Oregon offensive line, other than Junior Angelau, who is the, the guard transfer from Texas. Uh, like I said, he's played in 34 career games. He started 30 of them primarily at the left guard position. He could be versatile along the offensive line. Like I said in the intro, he can move from guard to center, um, left guard, right guard. He can really, really do – he can go where where the coaching staff needs him. So um, back to that competition aspect, this, this is another room where, you know, there's I would say two, maybe three positions on the offensive line where you're you're still not sure who the starter is, and that's not a problem. I mean, you've got guys who who are really competing for that starting spot and really talented guys. Um, I think that you probably feel good that Josh Connerly is your starting left tackle. You feel good that um, a Johnny Cornelius is starting right tackle. You feel pretty solid that Stephen Jones is your starting right guard. Uh, I think he may be able to be pushed for that if Strother comes in at right guard and proves that he's you know really capable of doing the job at a high level. But I feel like Stephen Jones is probably your guy there. Then you look at left guard and center. And you've got Strother, Jackson Powers Johnson, Marcus Harper, and Junior Angelau all competing for, you know, two starting spots between the four of them. Um, JPJ has been taking all of the center reps uh, through spring football, but that's a lot because Harper was injured. Junior Angelau has also been injured. Um, Strother, like I said, mostly plays left guard, mostly plays at the guard position, but his, um, his commitment photo, like the graphic that Oregon puts out for the commitment, had him down in the center position and, and hiking the ball. So that's just, you know, that's something interesting to watch. I'm not saying that he's going to be a center. We'll we'll see where he ends up. But um, again, like I was saying with the wide receiver room, it's just incredible how much depth that Oregon now has in the interior offensive line and how many players that um, they can feel confident going to in case someone is to get injured or in case someone's not working out how they hope to. They can go that, you know, every coach says it, it's classic coach speak, but next man up, they can feel really confident going to the next man behind him and think there's not going to be any drop off in talent. Let's touch on Nico Reed a little bit, the uh, the cornerback from Colorado. It really feels like this guy's Christian Gonzalez 2.0, not in skill set so much, but in, uh, you know, in career path. I don't want to compare him to Gonzalez because, you know, saying someone is going to be a, a first round draft pick at at cornerback and someone who we thought would be a top 10 pick. That's, that's a pretty high bar to, uh, to set for someone, but you know, you look at his career path and he's kind of following in the steps of Gonzalez from every step of the way. Um, he took over as the cornerback one for Colorado after Gonzalez left Oregon. And once uh, Gonzalez followed coach Demetrius Martin over to Oregon, to take a step up. Um, Nico did a really good job as the cornerback one for Colorado. He had a really solid uh, 2022 season, 42 total tackles, one sack, two interceptions, seven pass breakups. So he was really solid in that CD1 role. 
And now, just like uh, Gonzalez did coming from Boulder to Oregon following Coach Meat, he's taking that step up because he feels like he can produce at a higher level and get more, you know, more recognition and more shine, play for a bigger program at Colorado uh, at Oregon. And that's not to be, you know, disrespectful to Colorado or Deion Sanders. It's just, you know, it's it's being honest. You're gonna if you play well at Oregon. Uh, like Gonzalez did, then you're going to get more shine than if you did something really good at Colorado. It's just, it's the same reason why Gonzalez transferred from Colorado, Oregon. It's why a lot of people transfer. Um, so again, looking at the competition, what you've got in the cornerback room, you got Kyrie Jackson transfer from Alabama, Triquez Bridges, Jaleel Florence, Dante Manning, and Nico Reed. Um, I think all of those are starter worthy players have starting potential. We've seen TriQuest start a lot. We've seen Kyrie. Uh, he looked really good in the spring game. We've seen him play well at Alabama. Nico, we know from his time at Colorado was a really good player has starting potential. Julio Florence has shown flashes. Dante Manning has shown flashes. They're two people that, you know, we're kind of waiting to take the, the next step up and, and hoping they could be starter worthy, but you know, this cornerback room now has five guys that you feel really confident can vie for that starting spot. Um, may the two best men win. You know, one of those guys might play in the nickel as well. Um, we've seen we've seen Jaleel play in there. We've seen Dante move a little bit. Triquez has played a little bit of safety. We're hearing a lot of buzz about him going to the safety spot in spring as well. So uh, between those five guys, I think you've got five five playmakers who can really you know lock down and be your lockdown defenders and and cover pretty well in the secondary the last two i want to touch on these ones aren't as big as the first three but they still need to be mentioned caden ludwick and matt rigney um a pair of walk-on players they mostly provide depth uh in any more than anything else um in rigney's case i think he's got an opportunity to push for playing time but based on what we saw this spring i think you feel really confident in what Luke Dune brings to the table what Ross James bring to the table. They're uh, they're really good punters and they've got some good distance on them. So good tank, good hang time. But you know these are walk on players. It never hurts to have have talented players that really aren't counting against the scholarship come in and, and just provide competition and provide bodies. So um, you know they they aren't headline additions to the to the roster, but I think they're still very solid and and they can help contribute a little bit if practice uh, more than anything else. So let's talk about the let's talk about the position competition at Oregon and what Dan Lanning is really trying to do with this roster and what I think he's succeeding with. Uh, he said numerous times since he got to Oregon that they are going to jump at any opportunity they can to try and get better and to try and up the level of talent at Oregon and at uh, and on the roster. And I think so far they're doing a really good job of it. I know a lot of fans might look at some of these additions, uh, particularly in the wide receiver room and say, hey, you might have too many guys here. You might have too, so many guys that think they deserve a shot and that think they deserve targets that, you know, it, it might get frustrating and some might not get the, you know, the looks that they want and might end up transferring out. But I think that, you know, this is the type of roster that you see SEC teams have. This is the type of roster that a Georgia has or an Alabama has where one of the starters can go out and the next guy behind him is just as good, if not better. So, I mean, let's start with the wide receiver room. Like I said, you got Troy, Tez, Treshawn, Chris, Gary, Casper, uh, Kyler Casper, Jurion Dickey. You know, four of those are in my top 25 ranked wide receivers in the conference. I mean, this is one of the best wide receiver rooms in the Pac-12. And I think, you know, with Bo Nix being as good as we expect him to be, I think they'll be as good as anyone in the nation. 
uh, go on down to offensive line. You feel like Josh Connolly and a Johnny Cornelius have the OT spots locked up, but left guard, right guard, center, those could all be up for grabs, especially left guard and center. Jackson Powers Johnson, Marcus Harper, Junior Angelau, Nishad Strother, Stephen Jones, Dave Ioli. You know, those are what five, six guys that feel very, very capable of being a starter with two or three spots available. May the best man win. Go on down to cornerback Kyrie Jackson, Nico Reed, Triquez Bridges, Dante Manning, Julio Florence. You know, those are four or five guys who vying for two, maybe three spots if you move one of them to the nickel. Maybe Triquez moves back to safety, like a lot of people have been talking about doing. But, you know, with those five guys, I think you got five really talented players who you feel confident can get the job done and be starting caliber players. May the best two men win. Once we get into fall camp, it's going to be really fun to watch them go at it. Go on back to safety. Evan Williams, Tysheem Johnson, Steve Stevens, Brian Addison, fighting for two spots, maybe three if you get one of them in the nickel. Once again, may the best two men win. Not only is this great competition at the top, but it's ensuring that the winner of the starting spot, whoever the person is that gets the starting spot, they're going to be well-suited and deserving. They're going to have to really earn that starting spot because they've got a lot of talent around them that they're going to have to beat out in order to get there. But on top of that, it's also building incredible depth. And this is this is building a depth chart that you... <clears throat> but on top of that, it's also building incredible depth. This is a depth chart now that you know you can rely on second, third, fourth rung players on it because, you know, you've got guys, you've got starting caliber players that maybe they get it beat out. Maybe they don't start play the first snaps of the game, but they're going to be in there often. They're going to rotate in and out. Like I said earlier, this is what championship teams look like. This is championship roster building from Dan Lanning. This is exactly what we saw. I mean, take Georgia in, uh, what was it, 2021, for example. They had half of their defense at least half of their defense drafted to the NFL after that championship season when Dan Lanning was there. Next year, they win the championship again because, you know, the next guys on the depth chart just stepped right up, stepped right into the spot, and they were capable of playing. So that feels like what Dan Lanning is really building here. I think that he's got a roster that is so deep with talent and so talented, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I know I talked about wide receivers, offensive line, cornerback, and safety. Um, there's just, those are really, really important places where you need to be deep. So, um, I'm just, I'm very impressed with what he's done so far. I know a lot of fans might be, I guess, nervous would be the right way to say it just because there's so many mouths to feed looking at the wide receiver room. Um, and you just, you got so many players that if they don't get their shots, some of them might want to transfer out. You know what? If they do, that happens. That's, that's totally fine. Let them go play where they want to play, play as much as they want to play with the team that wants them. If you want to be at Oregon, you know, they're building a, they're trying to build a championship roster and they're trying to compete for championships. Not everyone can be a starter. Not everyone can be a star, but if you want to contribute and you want to be, you know, part of what they're building, then you're going to, you're going to contribute where you can. You're going to play when you can and do everything you can to get on the field. And it's going to make everyone around you better. And it's going to make yourself better as well. All right, let's take a quick break, and I'm going to come back with my conversation about Bo Nix and how realistic his chances of winning the Heisman Trophy are next year. All right, like I said at the top, uh, the thing that we're going to be doing on this podcast going forward for the next few weeks of this offseason is we're going to bring big picture questions to the podcast and see if we can go ahead and answer them. Um, the first one I'm going to start with is whether or not Bo Nix can win the Heisman Trophy in 2023, whether or not he has a realistic chance. 
Um, I've got a piece up on Duxwire about this. That's kind of diving into all of the numbers and showing his numbers from last year, pre-injury, post-injury, and um, showing some of the average stats from Heisman winners over the past several years. So um, if you want to really dive into this and, and get some of the behind-the-scenes numbers and get some of the data points that I'm talking about, go find that at ducswire.usatoday.com. Really good piece up. But I'm just going to kind of go over some of the, the main talking points and some of the main bullet points for this one. So if you look at Bo Nix's 2022 season, by all means, he had a, a Heisman-worthy season up for the first 11 weeks of the year. Uh, you kind of take away that Georgia game week one. He did not play great at 173 yards, uh, zero touchdowns, uh, 37 rushing yards, zero rushing touchdowns. But from then on, from Eastern Washington till the Washington game where he got hurt, uh, I believe that was in week 11, uh, he played pretty, pretty fantastic. He was averaging about you know 275, 300 yards uh, through the air, two and a half to three touchdowns in the air, probably about 50, 55 to 60 rushing yards. And again, about two rushing touchdowns per game. So um, that absolutely had him in the Heisman conversation. Um, things got derailed a little bit once that injury happened. It's not that his, I mean, you, you can look at the stats pre-injury and post-injury and they paint a little bit of a different picture Honestly, his his passing stats really did not fall off at all. If anything, they increased a little bit. Um, you know, post-injury against Utah, Oregon State, and North Carolina. I mean, he had 287 passing yards and one touchdown against Utah, 327 yards and two touchdowns against Oregon State, 205 yards, two touchdowns against North Carolina. Where his stats dropped off really was in the rushing department. Against Utah, he had two rushes for negative three yards. Oregon State, three rushes for negative five yards. North Carolina, five rushes for six yards. So um, you could tell that, you know, that injury that he suffered, the one that he played through and gritted through, I mean, it's it hasn't really come out what exactly happened to his, his leg slash foot, what the injury was. I was told that, you know, a lot of people, it probably could have ended their season and, and they probably would have gotten something done on it, a procedure to, you know, help them out going forward. But he decided to play through it and be their first team and, and still try and lead them to a, a great final season or final few games in Oregon, um, which is, you know, commendable. And I think that while his stats did drop a little bit and, you know, part of that is, is Oregon lost some games. They'd lost to Washington, lost to Oregon State, which kind of made him fall out of that Heisman race and made the Ducks fall out of that college football playoff race as well. So so looking back, I wanted to to kind of imagine what a fully healthy 2022 for Bo Nix would have looked like. What would his season-long stats have looked like had he not gotten injured against Washington, and had he been able to be fully healthy for those final three games? So as it stands, even with the injury, he had a 71.9% completion percentage, threw for just over 3,500 yards, 29 touchdowns, 510 rushing yards, and 14 touchdowns. How would that have looked different if he had not been injured in the final three games? Like I said, I think that his passing numbers actually got a little bit of a boost in the final three games just because he didn't have that rushing ability. So he had to rely on what he could do well, and he knew he could, could sit back in the pocket and pass the ball. So um, while his completion percentage dropped a little bit after the injury, he went for about 70, 71% down to, I think it was about 68% because he lost that ability to scramble and uh, probably had to throw a few more balls away. I think if you look at the games uh, and project them, if he was healthy, 
I think you see his completion percentage bump up a little bit to about 72%. I think you see his passing yards drop a little bit from, you know, 35.90 to 35.50, not drastic at all, but I think that he probably would have ran a little bit more than passed a little bit more. Although I do think you could probably add a touchdown or two to his passing touchdown total, just because, you know, once he's, he's scrambling on the move, I think he can make more plays with his arms and, and find the open receiver better than he could. Um, again, in the, in the rushing ability, I think that's really where the, the biggest difference is made. He finished with 510 yards and 14 touchdowns. He was averaging about 55 yards per game and a touchdown. I think if he was healthy, the final three games, you probably get him up to, 650 yards 660 around there and probably 17 touchdowns so um yeah that's that's what i think his season would have looked like if he um if he was healthy for those final three games so looking back we we looked at caleb williams bryce young joe burrow kyler murray baker mayfield lamar jackson marcus mariota and Jameis winston those are the last eight quarterbacks to win the heisman trophy in the past 10 years so I'm not going to list all of their stats for you, um, all of the breakdowns of what they did in their years. If you want to see a complete breakdown with all of the numbers um, on this, you can go to duckswire.usa today. We've got a a really good piece up breaking down all of this, but um, you can tell just by looking at it that these players either had elite years passing the ball or elite years rushing the ball. For instance, Joe Burrow uh, completed 76% of his passes through third, through for 5,600 yards and 60 touchdowns. Didn't do much on the ground. Um, contrarily, Lamar Jackson did not have a great passing year. I mean, he threw for 56% completion percentage, 3,500 yards, but he rushed for 1,500 yards and 21 touchdowns. So it's not just a passing award. It's not just a rushing award. It's really, you know, uh, who can do the best with what they have, who can show their skill set the best. And a lot of these people are, are pretty balanced between, you know, throwing 40 touchdowns, 12, 12 rushing touchdowns, something like that. So what I did is I went through and I averaged out all of the numbers. And for the most part, a Heisman winning season from a quarterback in the past decade looks like 67% completion center completion percentage, excuse me, 4,500 yards, 43 touchdowns, uh, 577 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns. So, um, so what does that mean for Bo Nix? What does that mean? What is a what does a 2023 season look like for him that would be in the conversation for Heisman? Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's almost a prerequisite for the QB to have an elite year throwing the ball or running the ball. Uh, based on the players who are in contention this year, I mean, we looked back. Let's actually go ahead and look at the. The top 10 odds real quick. Um, we've got another post up on, on Duckswire about the, the players who have the best odds to win the t- uh, wins the Heisman Trophy. Right now, it's USC's Caleb Williams, the, the defending Heisman winner at plus 500. Washington's Michael Penix Jr. is plus 1,200. Uh, Knicks is plus 1,200. You got Florida State quarterback Jordan Travis at plus 1,200. You've also got North Carolina's Drake May. Uh, Notre Dame, Sam Hartman, LSU's Jaden Daniels, Texas's Quinn Ewers, guys like that. Those are all in the plus 1,500, plus 2,000 range. So um, Nick's right now is tied for the second best odds, a uh, three-way tie for that. So he's definitely in the mix. Um, but you look at uh, all those players who are in contention, and you can often get a, a good feel for for which of the two, you know, whether the passing or the running is going to be more important. While all 10 of those quarterbacks – 
um, are they're able to do both at a high level. The majority lean one way, and that that kind of leads me to believe. You know, would it? It leads me to ask: Would it be beneficial for Knicks to have you know a really really good leveled out season where he's really solid passing the ball, really solid running the ball, or would it be better for him to have the the Joe Burrow or the Lamar Jackson year where they're you know, they're so eye-popping at one facet of the game that it really, it's kind of contrarian in a way and really stands out um, where where the others do not. Both routes are entirely plausible. I mean, like I've, I've mentioned before, Lamar Jackson, uh, his, his passing numbers were great. His rushing was fantastic. Joe Burrow, his passing was impossible to ignore. Um, his rushing was decent, but, you know, nothing special. Then you got someone like Marcus Mariota back in 2014, who was, you know, he had slightly above average passing numbers. He he was really solid and slightly above average rushing numbers too. I mean, he was, he was really pretty, I shouldn't say pretty good. Obviously he was a Heisman winner. He was very good in both facets of the game. And he stood out because he was just hands down the best player that year. Um, so looking at the top 10 betting odds, I have a feeling that it will be more of a pass-heavy season based on the guys that are in the mix there. You've got guys like Caleb Williams, Knicks, Jordan Travis, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels who can they run adequately. They're solid in the running game. Uh, but for the most part, these guys, they're on the watch list because of their arm talent. And they're they're they've got a lot of hype about them going forward because they can pass the ball well and they're um, they're kind of true quarterbacks and they're going to pick defenses apart. They're not, they're not your Kyler Murray's. They're not your Lamar Jackson's who are um, going to rely solely on their legs to get the job done. So with all of that being said, I believe that in order for Knicks to win the Heisman this year, he's going to need to at least maintain his consistent passing stats. Um, he's going to need to bump up his numbers a little bit, definitely get more yards and more touchdowns in order to be the mix. Like I said, only 29 touchdowns, and I believe it was, let me pull that back up, 3,500 yards. Yeah, if you're going to look at the the averages where uh, most Heisman winners have 4,500 yards and 43 touchdowns, that's been the average over the past 10 years. You can see that he obviously needs to bump, uh, bump that up a little bit. But And then as far as rushing goes, I think if he can maintain what he did last year, um, I think it's awesome. I think that really that's – we don't need him to get any better or try to add a ton of statistics in the running game. I think if he can maintain what he did last year, get around 500, 600 yards, 13 to 15 rushing touchdowns, even that maybe I don't want to say overkill because it's all just, just boosting his Heisman, you know, campaign and his potential. But um, I think the main thing to focus on for him is getting his passing stats. Um, the completion percentage, 71% last year around there. Um, that again is is higher than it technically needs to be. If you're looking at the averages, if he could stay around sixty nine percent, seventy percent, I think that would be awesome. That'd be good enough for him to get the job done. So let's answer the question that we came here to answer: Can Bo Nix realistically win the Heisman in twenty twenty three? I think that the answer in my mind is a definitive yes. I think that it won't be easy. And, you know, he's going to need to have another career year like we saw last year. But based on what I've told you already and what we've heard this offseason, I think it's definitely possible. I think that he's someone who um, we've heard him this offseason. We've heard stories about him from from coaches, players. We've heard from Nick's himself that he's growing and he's he's kind of in this next phase of his career where 
he's like a, a coach on the field and he's like a coach in the uh, in practices and in the locker room. I mean, they. I think it was Will Stein earlier this spring that was calling him the the coordinator on the field, and they they consider him kind of an extra coach on their staff because he is so knowledgeable and he he knows so much about the team and he knows so much about the offense that he's someone that can really check them into the right situations, get them out of the wrong situations, and really just lead the way for this team. So obviously, the main things that I touched on are the passing numbers. I mean, that's what again what needs to improve the most for him to to get from. I don't want to say a non-Heisman level last year because he was playing at a Heisman level until he got injured. That's what gets him from that tier to, you know, the actual getting invited to New York tier and the the really being in contention for the for the final award tier. I think in order for him to contend for the award, he's going to need to break at least the 4,000-yard mark passing. He had about uh, just under 3,600 last year. I think he's going to need to get up over to over 40 touchdowns, uh, passing touchdowns. Uh, where he was at 29 last year. So that's that's probably where the biggest jump comes. Can he find another 500 to 1,000 yards through the air in another yeah, 10, 11 touchdowns through the air? That's going to be a little tough. Um, I feel like in order for him to do that, it might hurt his rushing ability a little bit because we saw a lot last year that you know once they get in the red zone, once they get near the goal line, Nicks would be likely to, you know, scramble and run it in. That's where he got a lot of his touchdowns. And I mean, he finished with 14 rushing touchdowns for a reason. And, you know, you look at some of the the running back stats, you look at Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington, they didn't have as many touchdowns kind of as you think they would because Nick's kind of Nick's actually got a lot of them. So um, I think that if Oregon is truly going to run a Bo Nick's Heisman trophy campaign this year, they're going to make a point to once they get in the red zone, once they get into these, you know, five, 10 yards uh, out for a touchdown, they might try throwing the ball a little bit more than they have before, just because they know they need to boost his numbers a little bit. Um, obviously that's all, you know, this is not the main priority for the ducks. The main priority needs to be winning. Um, so they're, they're not going to play. They're not going to call plays that are wrong for the situation. Um, and plays that get them into trouble, they're going to do, you know, the the main key and the main priority is to score the touchdown, obviously. So they're going to do what they can to do that. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit more, you know, passes instead of runs for Knicks this year. Um, I think his, you know, I don't know that the rushing stats are going to fall off a ton. Um, I know that Bo Nix has been working really hard to to get his lower body stronger and to kind of bulk up in that area be, so he can withstand this injuries um, and so he can be more physical runner and be more in tune with that part of the game. So, um, but like I said, I think all of this is entirely possible. I think that he's someone that if he plays to the level that we expect him to, and if he he proves that last year wasn't a fluke season or wasn't you know an out of the ordinary season for him that he can maintain this level of play, then yeah, it's absolutely possible that he gets to New York. Of course, there's also the elephant in the room to mention with all of this. The Ducks need to win. I mean, the Ducks need to win. They need to contend for the college football playoff. Um, They need to, you know, be in contention for the Pac-12 championship game and probably get to that Pac-12 championship game if Knicks wants an invite to New York. If you look back at the past Heisman winners, only twice have the eventual winners not led their team to the college football playoff. Caleb Williams and USC fell short last year in 2022. And then Lamar Jackson and Louisville missed out on the playoff back in 2016 as well. 
Other than that, all the way back to Marcus Mariota in 2014, which was the first year of the playoff, every quarterback who has won the Heisman Trophy has been in the playoff. So um, unless Knicks goes on an absolute, you know, otherworldly tear in 2023 and puts out these remarkable numbers, which, you know, all due respect to Knicks, I, I don't expect him to do that. The Ducks are going to need to make it to the Pac-12 title game, and they're going to need to contend at least for a spot in the college football playoff in order for for Bo to you know be a Heisman winner and bring that trophy back to Eugene. And again, I'll say, in my mind, all of this is entirely possible. It will be a ton of fun to see him, you know, try and do this. I think that he's got a really good shot. I think Oregon's offense is going to be really good, and um, I'm excited to see what it looks like under under Will Stein because. Obviously, Bo Nix had such a good relationship with Kenny Dillingham, and they went way back, and you know that offense was kind of tailored to him. But from everything we've heard so far, that Oregon's new offense under Will Stein isn't really a new offense. It's pretty much what we saw from them last year, maybe with a little bit of wrinkles here and there, some RPOs mixed in. But for the most part, I, I don't think that um, the change in offensive coordinators should, should hinder Bo Nix at all. I think that he's going to have just as much success I think he can have more success in the end. And I think, you know, if I were to put my money on it, whether or not Bo ends up in New York for that Heisman ceremony next year, I think there's a really good chance that happens. Um, Like I said, I laid out all the numbers that he needs to get to um, kind of the sweet spot for where, you know, an invite would come. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's possible. And it's going to be really fun to watch down the road because, uh, Oregon's offense should be good. They should be clicking, and that's that should result in Bo Nix having another great year. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Um, if you want an update on you know current Oregon news, kind of there's there's some spring stuff coming out, post spring stuff. I mean, there's been win totals that come out. There's been uh, you know post spring power rankings stuff like that. So uh, a little bit of bowl projections too. We've got all of that up on DucksWire.usatoday.com. Um, as always, there's recruiting news. Recruiting is something that's going on 12 months a year. There's some transfer portal news. The plan for now is that I will be back sometime next week with another question to answer and another thing to talk about and kind of preview the 2023 season upcoming. So if you want to check out any of my work, uh, like I said, you can find it at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, until next time, take it easy. Mm-hmm.